This is the Oil Country Podcast. Presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil Country Podcast. Presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. As always, I am your host, John, from Edmonton, Alberta. Joining me from Montreal, Quebec, is Kyle. Kyle, what's going on, my dude? Uh, Man, I've been looking forward to this podcast in particular for a very long time. Uh, Today, with who we got to talk to, um, Odd Man Rush, he's been one of my favorite YouTubers for well over a year now. Um, And as soon as we joined the Hockey Podcast Network and I seen that he was going to be on there doing the Brits on Bruins podcast i immediately told him like how excited i was that he was there and that i definitely want to talk to him in the future so i i'm doing fantastic right now because i got to talk to uh definitely one of my idols so far in the the media sphere shout out to you too kyle because you did not fangirl near as much as i thought you were going to fangirl I, I, I mean, I thought I did. I told you how good he was. Like, honestly, he's such a good dude and so knowledgeable. Like, I think that anybody listening to this is honestly in for a treat. He he is a awesome, awesome guest. He's just definitely a cool guy. He's super knowledgeable for basically what kind of he, he told us he, he gets talked about or talked down about. Um, like, he's from the UK, right? He's from the southeast of Britain. And he's not who you would expect to be this much of a hockey fan um so it's it's kind of eye-opening to see how much he knew um because i didn't expect that as well like his podcast uh, or sorry his uh, youtube videos that he puts out um they're very much like where are they now which is his big series which kind of goes through um past players and and people that were forgotten about like you know alexander semen or ryan spooner or or he does like moments in history, like he went through Sam Gagne's eight point night. So, um, yeah, he, he definitely, I guess I should have gave him more respect, um, for knowing his shit, but, uh, but definitely a pleasure to talk to him. And I, I want to talk to him again in the future. That dude was wildly knowledgeable and it was, you know, like he's a Bruins guy. And with that YouTube channel, we were expecting him to know a fair amount about the NHL, but you can just tell like that guy is just an NHL hockey and not just NHL, but a hockey junkie. Mm-hmm. Like even talking about the Oilers, we're used to doing collaborations or interviews. And if they're not Oilers guys, you're kind of explaining where you're at. And he was saying shit that I was like, wow, I wish I thought of that. Like <laughs> what a refreshing take on the Oilers situation. So no, the dude is wildly knowledgeable. We had an absolute blast chatting with him so stay tuned for that it's coming up right away here everybody and as well check out brits on bruins with his co-host chris that is on the hockey podcast network obviously the bruins affiliate there as well as odd man rush on youtube uh he's pretty popular man he does well for himself so awesome channel there as well check that out and stay tuned for his interview everybody the best place to get kicked off here is that trade market that's starting to heat up as we approach the deadline. So with that trade that Tampa Bay made, it was rumored that Edmonton and Boston were both in on that. What was your kind of take on that one there? So looking at the Coleman trade, I am really glad, and I was talking to about this to my co-host Chris on Brits on Bruins, which you should go and listen to, by the way. Uh, I was talking to him about this, and we both thought that that's a really 
big haul to give up for a guy like Blake Coleman. Now, don't get me wrong. He's a 25, 20, 30 goal scorer. He's proven himself. He scored a hell of a goal, like right at the beginning of the season. He was falling down very Ovechkin-esque when he was in his rookie year, like falling down one-hander into the back of the net, which every time I watch it, I'm like, wow. Um, but yeah, because uh, obviously Tyler Toley's now off the market. Um, he's gone to the Canucks. Um, there's talk about Kyle Palmieri maybe being on the trade block from the New Jersey Devils, which of course they're going to have a bit of a file, fire sale over there, I think within the next few days or so. Yeah. Chris Kreider obviously is uh, maybe, maybe not on the, the trade block. I, both Chris, my ho- uh, co-host and I, we're both very much under the impression that if they're going to upgrade the the top six of the Boston Bruins, which we're not really that sure they need to do, it's going to be really expensive and I'm not sure it's going to be worth the asking price. I mean, that's kind of the way me and John are feeling right now too. That was way too much. We think that went for Coleman there. Like his, uh, mm-hmm. his stats, right? His career year is 36 points. He's at 31 right now. So he's definitely going to beat that this year, especially being on Tampa Bay, but to give up a first round and like a B level prospect foot has a good chance of being a middle six forward. I'd say in the NHL, um, not guaranteed or anything, of course, but that's a lot to give up when you look at Vancouver last year, for example. And although I don't think it's the trade that they should have made, but JT Miller went there for just a first, right? So yeah. that's that's quite the the upgrade. Although I'd say his his uh, contract is probably the selling point, right? He's one point eight million for the next three years, but still quite the overpay. It's just nuts to me too. Like when you look at like look at what Taylor Hall went for earlier in the year, and you would think like Coleman does have another year left on his contract. But it's just wild to see these first round picks already starting to get tossed around. I, I guess you've, you've also got to consider uh, this desperation mode's kicked in now. For sure. When Taylor Hall was traded, there was still a couple of months to go until the trade deadline. So uh, obviously the Coyotes and the Devils could could negotiate a little bit more and they had more time to come to essentially the perfect deal for everyone involved. Whereas, I mean, the, the trade deadline's on Monday. Uh, the teams haven't really got that long left. And obviously we saw a whole bevy of trades going on yesterday. Some really good ones, some uh, maybe not so good ones. I mean, the, the Habs doing a great job picking up a second round pick for Marco Scandella when they only yeah. <laughs> used the fourth to get him. Like Mark Bergevin, sometimes he does put up some good trades, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like he, he does like a year of good things and then a year of bad things. Like he seems to be so inconsistent with what he does for that team. But uh, but getting a second and a fourth for Scandella is definitely a, a better trade than what he was worth. I always think it's crazy for teams to be reaching the trade deadline before they start actually making a push for a player i would be doing what arizona did and try to add it two months ago because you have that working leverage where you have more time to make a deal when it gets down to the nitty-gritty and right before it like teams are going to ask for king's ransom because they know you want to add that player to your your core right for the playoff rush so but then again that's all that's all dependent on the other team engaging in selling it too for sure of course so so I, I would imagine that guys like Toffoli uh, and some of the other guys, Marco Scandella, definitely uh, guys like that, and obviously um, Blake Coleman. Those yeah, guys they probably asked about all year. Yeah, I would imagine Tampa's probably been asking about a guy like Coleman for quite a while. But right, I, I, I think it takes yeah. until a team that obviously the selling team to decide. They essentially have all the power in this situation. They're the one that has the commodity that the other team wants, and. They know Absolutely. they have time on their side. They can go, okay, we're going to leave this right until the last minute. You're going to have to pay up if you want it. So, And I think a prime example of that was the Vancouver trade for Toffoli. I think it was, mm. um, was it, it was our Ottawa guy in our group chat, I think had a really good take where 
it seems like that was probably something that was developing for a few months or a few weeks at least. And then once they found found out that Brock Besser is going to be out for eight weeks, it goes from a, yeah, we'll see what happens to what's your price for this player? We need him. And Absolutely. that kind of just changes. Yeah. And, and also when you look at trades that are made two months ago, I think a lot of GMs want to see what they have in their players. Like, especially when you look at Edmonton where Holland is in his first year, he, he wants a little bit more, you know, telling exactly who these players are before he gives up on them or decides he needs an improvement, which is why you see all these GMs all of a sudden as the deadline approaches, they have a pretty good idea of what they have and what they need. Uh, uh, yeah. And also you've got to remember that Ken Holland, you, you, there could be an argument to be made that this isn't quite his team yet. For sure. He hasn't really had a huge impact on a lot of the players that are on this roster. It's still very much the, the remains of Peter Shirelli, which I know a lot of Edmonton fans may not want to talk about in too much detail. But <laughs> yeah, like obviously with this trade deadline, this is his first real chance to go, okay, I'm going to put my own stamp on this team. Then again, I was listening to, I think it was Craig Button on TSN either earlier today or yesterday. And I didn't quite realize just how many injuries the Oilers have got at the yeah. moment. Obviously, you've got Athlon <laughs> out with the suspension. You've got McDavid out. Uh, is Clefbaum out? And Neil, he Neil's out as well, right? Clefbaum just got announced yesterday, and he's out two to three weeks. And that's a huge yeah. hit to our blue line. He got injured last year, and that was a big turning point for our team going downhill. And so. Chris Russell is still out. So that's two of our top three left-handed defensemen that are out right now. Now, th this is where I think Ken Holland being uh, an older veteran general manager might actually help the Edmonton Oilers in this situation because I feel like I feel like fans' immediate reaction is, okay, we've got a ton of injuries. We need to go out and get somebody. Like, do it quickly, 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 because otherwise the moment's going to pass. Um, like I said on uh, Brits on Bruins with uh, my co-host Chris, GMs at this time of year are very much damned if they do and they're damned if they don't, unless they win the cup. Unless, yeah. unless your franchise wins the Stanley Cup, you're either going to get it wrong because you didn't make enough moves or get it wrong because you made too many and ruined the chemistry of the team. So I think the fact that Ken Holland has been in this position before, he's had teams make deep playoff runs, won Stanley Cups, like he knows what he's doing. So I, I, I feel like from my perspective, looking at the Edmonton Oilers squad, yeah, you could argue that if things don't go well for this team uh, down the stretch, towards the end of the regular season, then you can maybe argue that Ken Holland should have done more. But then again, I, I feel like, first of all, there isn't really that much wiggle room with the Oilers roster at the moment because once again, still looking after the remains of the Peter Shirelli era. So I, I feel like this is one of those situations and I, and I feel like Ken Holland is going to do this and I think this is the smart thing to do to just kind of take things into perspective and go, once we're healthy we are one of the better teams in the National Hockey League. Last time I checked, the Oilers were first in the Pacific, right? They are. And and have been one of the hottest teams since the new year. Exactly. So, like, sure, some of the players are out and they're injured, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? That's kind of how we felt with the Bruins. They've been treading water as well, right? Like, we're 3-1 and one since McDavid's been out. Obviously, yeah. with Clefbaum going down now, Tonight's game against you guys is going to be a very big test. Boston's a very good team. But I think that the way this team is playing, I'm not necessarily expecting the Oilers to win by any means, but I don't think they're going to get blown out of the water if they bring their game either. No, I, 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 feel, like, I feel like the number of injuries uh, to the Oilers roster is obviously going to have a big impact on For sure. the roster that they're icing for this game. 
Um, the good thing for the on the Bruins' perspective is, and for, from my perspective, which is great, we've got a pretty healthy team at the moment. Um, <laughs> we've had David Krejci's gone down with a couple of injuries this year, but that was very much early on. Um, we've had um, most of our most of the first line in terms of Marchand, Bergeron, Parsnak, they've been healthy all year long and, and just dynamite together in the, too. In the stats that they've put up. They have been an absolute. They've been incredible this season. They have pulled this team out of some games where they should not have won. So um, the Bruins at the moment as well, like just to give some of the Oilers fans context listening that may not necessarily follow the Bruins, they're, the Bruins are on a three-game winning streak and they've won nine of their last 10 mm-hmm. and 10 of their last 12. So um, we ha- we've played quite a fair few number of teams from the Western Conference recently and we won all of them. Um, the last time we actually lost, we were talking about this on the podcast, actually. The last time we actually lost to a Western Conference team was against the Oilers on January 4th. Right. And that was only <laughs> the second time you guys had lost at home, I believe, wasn't it? Something stupid like that? In regulation, yeah. In the, regulation. The, the right. first one was the Avalanche. Wow. Yeah. You know, I almost look at this game. We had just played Tampa. That was our only loss in the last four. And Tampa was a little bit hurt. Kucherov was out. Stamkos was out. But that's still a very deep team. And I'm kind of looking at this game similar to that one where... With the Oilers' injuries, if they come out and play a hard game and don't just get steamrolled, like I don't mean to sound like a Debbie, Debbie Downer to any Oilers fans, but I, I can't be unimpressed with that. Like Boston's a very deep team, so I do want to I do want to pivot here slightly. And what do you think Boston's weaknesses are as far as when you're looking at making a cup run? If your GM decides to add, where is he looking at adding? Forward depth. Yeah. The the depth at the forward, they do have a lot of depth at forward, but they're very streaky. Um, We've noticed over the season that if teams are able to shut down that first line, which uh, if they don't are able to score two, three goals a game, they're really capable of turning the tide almost instantly. Right. Um, When we've seen the Bruins play well all season long is when all four lines are clicking. Uh, We've had recent call-ups from guys like Carson Kuhlman, who's been playing on the fourth line. He's been an absolute spark plug for this team in that bottom six. He's come in and he had, he had a bit of a stint earlier in the season with the team, but he's come back up recently. And in his first like five games, he had four points. And that really helped pick up some close wins where, I mean, if we didn't have the bottom six clicking as they should have done, then we might not have had the opportunity to win those games. And we've had Anders Bjork, who's a prospect that's been in the Bruins system for a little while. He came up and he's now actually getting top six time with Dave Krejci and Jake DeBrusque. And he's he's not scored the most amount of points. He's not exactly in the Calder race or anything, but he's putting up decent numbers. He's worked his way up from the fourth line. Bruce Cassidy seems to have some trust in him. I feel like going into the playoffs, our defense is pretty solid. We're, they're very good at blocking shots. Uh, and when the shots actually do get to the net, we've got two very capable goaltenders. I've been very much an advocate for Rask and Halak to be in the consideration for the Vezina Trophy all year long. They're two very capable goaltenders. And we've seen in quite a lot of the games recently, teams are only scoring one or two goals against us. We lost against Detroit last week, which, yeah, we don't really like to talk about that too much because it's Detroit, obviously. <laughs> any but, team can beat anybody. Like, apart though. from that, yeah, <laughs> I mean, they've beaten the Habs a fair amount of times yeah. this season. <laughs> the so series, we're not the only yeah. ones. Yeah, exactly. So um, we're, we're in a position where the defense, as it stands right now, there's been a few changes here and there. We had John Moore injured for quite a lot of for the beginning of the season. He's kind of in and out of the lineup when Bruce Cassidy feels like he's playing well and when he's not. I feel like getting maybe another clutch guy 
in the top six, which is why there's been so many rumours about it on the Bruins end. That would be a really good option for them. However, I feel like they're just going to have to pay too much with who's left. And I don't think it's worth it. Well, it's it's pretty much going to come down to like Palmieri, Kreider, or maybe even Kovalchuk here from Montreal too, right? Like, I really hope they do not go for Kovalchuk. Yeah. I agree. They have, have the yeah. chance to sign him. If they give up anything for him, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> um, although you could say it, Boston could go all in and it might be worth it for this team too right now again right like they do have that roster like you said it's it's built strong it is it is a full complete competitive roster your defense is amazing and and as far as boston stake has quite always been there and and rask i think although he's not undervalued i think a lot of people give him flack because he hasn't won a cup himself yet and proved it um but I think he's an incredible goalie. I really do. Um, as well as Halak there to back him up. So, like, your team is is definitely a cup contender. I, I think it would almost be worth it to go in on a Palmieri. I, would, I think Kreider would probably be worth too much. But I think you could swing a deal there. I mean, you've also got to keep into consideration the Bruins were one win away from a Stanley Cup last year. Absolutely, that's the true. that they have right now, without guys like Kuhlman and Bjork. Sure, they miss, they've lost guys like uh, Marcus Johansson, who... Uh, left via free agency. They lost a few notable players, but yeah, I, I feel like I feel like picking up a, a guy would be beneficial for the Boston Bruins. However, I feel like the guys that have gone already are the ones they really should have tried to pick up. And I, I, I the last thing I want is for the Bruins GM Don Sweeney to to feel like he has to make a move to go all in and pick up a guy that he severely overpays for just because he feels like he has to make that move. Now, the, the the Bruins are a sort of team that they are, like I said, they they were so close. They were they lost on home ice last year as well, which is interesting because I was hearing uh, recently um, a, a couple of guys, I think it was from NBC when they played the Rangers, were talking about um, like home ice advantage and how important that is for the Bruins come the playoffs because, as you know, the Bruins have played really well at home ice. I think the last time I checked, they're, they're 21-2-9 at home this season, which is That's incredible. Ridiculous. Like one of, if not the best record at home in the league. And you've got to also consider like they lost the cup at home last year. So home ice advantage didn't really mean much to them when it came down to it. So yeah, I, I feel like picking up a Ford would be a good idea. I, I just don't want them to overpay. And if they go for a guy like Kovalchuk, when they've had a chance to pick him up, I just feel like, sure, you don't quite know what you're getting from a guy like Kovalchuk. But still, I, I feel like everybody gave him quite a bad rap when he was in LA. I think people tend to forget that he he started off the year really well that first year in LA. Mm. And then when they made the coaching change, they shoved him on the fourth line or made him a healthy scratch. He, he's not the most defensively minded player. Of course not. But um, I also uh, followed Kovalchuk quite a lot when he was in the KHL with SK St. Petersburg. I like to keep up to tabs with the KHL because they're more time zone friendly to us Brits. <laughs> and he was very good over there. I, I was not surprised at all that he was coming back. And also guys like Nikita Gusev that came over for the Devils, like pure no-brainers for me having looked at that team and seen how incredibly, incredibly talented they are. So I, I just don't want them to overpay or pick up a guy that they could have had the chance to have gotten for next to nothing earlier in the season, you know? Fair. And I think that's kind of where me and John are at too, right in our team, like we already said earlier there. I think if we were going to add anybody, it'd be like a third-line center just to push back Shea hand to the fourth line and just improve our roster in the bottom six. Um, and 
for the top six winger that our team does need, I think we're going to wait till this offseason and at least get that potentially in the draft or or just pay it in free agency. And I think if it did, if it was going to happen, it would have like if you're going to pay that price, it'd be a guy with term left like a Tatar and Athens U Zucker before he got traded to the pens. Something like that, where it's like, yeah, you're giving up a first round pick, but this guy's going to help you for two, three years. I, I also think in terms of the Oilers situation, they just, in my opinion, they just don't have the assets to be able to give up in terms for just an end of season rental. I think also based on the 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 caps, uh, the cap situation they have, the in terms of the actual draft picks they still have available to them, either this year or next year. Obviously, like I said earlier, Ken Holland's still very much figuring out where this team is at in terms of their taking a taking look at their inventory and going, okay, this is what we've got. I completely agree. If they're going to go for a guy, it should be for a guy with a, another year on this contract. So like uh, like you mentioned, they can have that need filled for next season. Because, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the Oilers aren't necessarily a team that people are looking at and saying that they are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender as it stands right now. No, I think they're I, dark However, horse. I do feel like... I, 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 yeah, exactly. I feel like once they're healthy and they've got some guys that are playing quite well, I think also maybe the lack of playoff experience might not help this team to an extent. Mm-hmm. However, that only takes you so far. It, the, with the Pacific Division and especially with pretty much the, most of the Western Conference, you can kind of see most of the teams coming out of it. You could make a legitimate argument for all of them. For sure. And I mean why not the Edmonton Oilers? They're top of their division. They've got there for a reason, right? Already won 30 games on the season. So, and obviously once guys like McDavid and James Neal come back, Cassian's going to be so helpful for this team come playoffs, provided he doesn't get himself suspended again, <laughs> of course. But I, I feel I feel like he he's a guy that could really light a fire under this team when they need it. And that might be the difference maker compared to one of the other Pacific Division teams they play or one of the other Western Conference teams they play. I, I feel like I, I feel like Oilers fans don't need to worry. You just need to get your team healthy again. And this is my opinion. You guys have been following the team far more than I have. Just keep make sure the team's healthy and see what happens. Because like you've already done better than last year. So like you have made the playoffs last year. It was what two years ago the Oilers last uh, made the playoffs? Missed for two in a row. So three missed for two ago. in a row. Yeah, exactly. So. I, I mean, I would say get back to the playoffs. In my opinion, that's a success for the Edmonton Oilers this season, especially with a new GM, with a new coach. You're, it's been a year of kind of resetting, but taking a big step forwards. Making the playoffs is a huge step forwards for the Oilers, whether you're the most talented team or not. Absolutely. I mean, we from the beginning of the season were kind of thinking that this was going to be a bubble team and how they started the season and have been able to rebound after kind of a pretty poor December and then again continue to play here with the injury to McDavid and now the rest of the team out hopefully can continue that like John mentioned on our podcast uh, I think it was just our last one here about how the Oilers are playing a lot like Vegas did their first year in the league and how they're they become a character team their bottom six has been very important to um grinding teams down and making them tired we have a a physical four checking team that's in our bottom six and then allows our skill players to jump out there um kind of like the neil and um i'm s- sorry i'm totally forgetting march or so kind of duo that they had there in smith right so um 
I don't know. I, I, I'm not worried at all heading into the playoffs, to be honest with you. I think that we are going to have a team that can grind down people, and, and Cassian is going to be absolutely a spark plug for this team. Um, he was last time we were in the playoffs as well. Um, I'm very excited, looking forward to this spring. I, I, I think we're going to be at least in the top two spots in our division heading into it. It's really refreshing having someone on that's not shitting all over us, to be honest, because we, we've had Brad, who's the Flames guy, talking about the Battle of Alberta the last, like, three or four collaborations we've done. But then, but then again, but then again, I mean, like, Matthew Tuchuk needs to learn how to fight. Yeah, so, they, like, here we go. We're, we're going to have to maybe, have you maybe on again. That out first before, <laughs> maybe the Flames should figure that out before they start talking trash. Yeah. You know? <laughs> thank you, thank you. And I think it's, a, you know... Actually, hold on. I got something to show you. I'm wearing my shirt with Cassie and Bastion in Kachuk's face. Right oh, now. now that is a nice shirt. <laughs> that is I just remembered I mean, it, yeah. Oh, I should have worn Every time I've watched that, and obviously that was such a big, like, discussion point uh, throughout the NHL oh, yeah. as it was happening. Oh, the memes that came out of it were just the best. <laughs> and even with that, I saw some pretty good ones with the Cassian kick as well of like him like figure skate yeah. kicking people in the throat and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it's been a, been a good meme <laughs> season for the Oilers. Um, I did want to ask, just as far as the Bruins goes, you saw, I think it was last week or the week before with the Chara cross check. And... Marchand has obviously gotten into his fair share of trouble. And now you see the Oilers with Cassian's had two suspensions in the last month. Nurse has had a little bit of, you know, questionable plays he's made as far as butt ending a guy's groin. And what's your take on as far as like you saw Vander Kane come out and trash the Department of Player Safety? Do you like that like heavy old school hockey? Or do you think that that is something like those guys deserve to get big suspensions for what's going on. In in my opinion, there just needs to be more consistency. Right. I, I, I don't right. think there's enough. Like, uh, for example, um, J- Jeremy uh, Lawson of the Boston Bruins was suspended two games for uh, a hit to the head on the Arizona Coyotes' Derek Stepan. Yeah, I believe it was either in the same game or a game later, the opposing team made the same hit on one of the Boston Bruins players and nothing was called. Right. Now, I'm the first... I'm. Obviously, I talk Boston Bruins, so people might automatically assume that I'm going to be completely biased towards the Bruins and every call should go in their way. I like to look at things with an objective point of view. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I feel like most people do. Obviously, team bias blurs the vision slightly, but when it comes to consistency, you've just got to look at calls and go, yeah, that if that's a suspension, then so should this be. Uh, in, in terms of the, the, the Chara cross-check, both uh, my co-host Chris and I, we sat there and thought, well, yeah, that's an absolute suspension. Like, like uh, uh, in, in terms of the precedent that the Department of Player Safety is setting at this moment in time, based on what they're saying, and I believe it should have been a suspension, like, it was uncalled for. Um, sure, Zdeno Chara is like at least two feet taller than Brendan Gallagher, but that's not <laughs> the point. You can't cross-check a guy in the, in the face. It, it doesn't work like that. So uh, I feel like I feel like somebody like Evander Kane coming out and saying that I definitely agree that a lot of players feel like that they just don't want to be fined or suspended for bringing it up and a guy like Evander Kane out of anybody in the league he him or maybe Ryan Reeves or some of the other guys maybe even Brad Marchand some of those guys that have known to have a bit of an attitude um not necessarily a bad thing but have known to have a bit of a personality, whether it be good or bad. Um, you knew it was going to be one of those guys that would come out and say something. Do I think it's going to affect anything in the long term? Probably not. 
I just, I don't like the whole discussion of, oh, we need to make sure um, headshots are, uh, are clamped down on and uh, concussions, they need to be taken into consideration, but the calls aren't consistent. They need to be consistent. If uh, The whole point of a Department of Player Safety is to keep their calls consistent. Uh, and um, just to kind of reference something completely out of left field, um, the British Hockey League here, which most North Americans would have no idea it exists, and that's perfectly fine, uh, the Elite Ice Hockey League, we had a, a big event that happened a couple of seasons ago where um, uh, a player essentially ran at uh, an opposing team player about 30 seconds after a hit and started something gloves off, punching him, et cetera, et cetera. And that essentially led to a whole upheaval of how our Department of Player Safety works. We're now a couple of seasons on from that and we're kind of seeing the they're settled in and they're comfortable in what they're doing. And for the most part, fans around the league are going, okay, they're making consistent calls. We're seeing they're making calls that are very similar night in, night out. Sure, they might be only one game suspensions or something, but the league over here only plays at weekends. They only usually play two games a week. So a one game suspension is actually quite big or two game right. suspension, you miss a whole weekend. So it's just a case of being consistent. And I, I believe me, I don't know the answer to make the league more consistent. It takes a lot of, you, once again, like GMs, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If they make the call, then fans are going to be upset because you made the call on him and not somebody else. If you don't make the call, then the fans of the team that it should have been called on are going to be upset that you didn't actually make the call. It's such a tough position to be in. Nobody, not many people want to be in that position because you're kind of, it's a poison chalice really, isn't it? Well, which is why I think the, one of the points Kane hit on for me is the getting that third party to handle that. Right. Because no ex NHL player wants to be in that position. Like I don't envy George Paros's position. I think he's done a terrible job, but he has his own personal biases that he's going to have a really hard time ignoring, which I think is just reinforces more why you need that third party entity to come in and say, look, this is how we're going to suspend players. This is how we're going to discipline players and literally look at it. It doesn't matter who you play for or what you did in the past, unless it's obviously a reoccurring issue, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you did to me in your career 15 years ago or whether you're a good guy or not, it's what you do on the ice. Then again, I would argue, even if you bring in a third party, there's still going to be some element of that anyway, because let, let, let's just look at it from the league's perspective. Okay, mm. so they bring in a third party. The third party is going to be, I would imagine, comprised of some of the best hockey minds in the country, in the world at this moment in time. Most of them are going to be ex-players, most likely from the NHL. So. They're, they're going to already have like, the, 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 the argument that uh, Kane and some of the others make that there's already these biases. You could also make the argument that, I mean, everybody's going to have a bias. You, For sure. Somebody in this third party might have been plagued with concussions their entire career. And every time they see a headshot, they want to give them a five game suspension, you know, or, or there might be a, a, a person on there that played maybe minor hockey and never had an injury, but he, was, he has a chip on his shoulder because one of the players took his role on the roster when he had the chance to go up to the bigs. Like uh, these are obviously like complete, like made up scenarios, but I I don't feel like a third party necessarily helps that uh, because then again, you're just, you're just outsourcing the the same work to people that have their own sets of biases, their own sets of opinions. 
So I, I don't feel like that's solving the problem. That That is one thing I didn't actually think of. That is a really good point. I am, I almost think you almost need more of a structured where like, your first offense headshot is this X amount of games or a fine and then X amount of games and so on. But the issue with that is it comes into, you don't have any, you know, objectivity of it where some headshots are worse than other headshots. Yeah. So none there isn't really a perfect system. I do think that we can all agree that it needs to be more consistent and it could be better though. I, I do think that we're on the way to some sort of overhaul with the officiating in this league, though. I mean, Kane was not the first person to call out the officials, right? Uh, both Tortorella and uh, Julian, right? Claude Julian from Montreal well, he just wasn't recently even got fined here. Officials. He was I, calling out the Department of Player Safety, though. But yeah. Yeah, so, sorry, but just that whole kind of sphere of things, right? For sure. Um, and, and getting fined by the league for saying those things, which the league has to do, I guess, to cover their bases. But I, I really wish that they would put out videos, although they do for the Department of Player Safety and there needs to be change there that I'm not commenting on right now. But the for the officiating, at least, I do wish they'd do more like the NBA where, although I don't watch it, but when there's a call that's controversial, they do come out and explain why that call was made. And if it was a mistake, they will take ownership of it. And it'd be at least nice to see a little bit more of that in the NHL rather than just kind of plugging their ears and saying that what the officials did is all the time is right. It kind of feels like the cops in America and everything they do. You know, I just is, is, that up. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there definitely needs to be some sort of change to the system. It's been consistently bad for years now. And, and like you guys said too, it, it's, one of the hardest jobs in the world. It, the hockey is such a fast sport and making those calls is insanely hard, but it seems like they do mess it up even when they get to have the iPad on the ice and actually look at replays in slow motion. There's a lot of controversial calls that are are still made, right? It just comes down to accountability. Like I don't, I'm fine with the human error aspect of it, but hold your officials accountable. I, I, I just feel like the biggest point for fans i i would imagine in fans perspectives and feel free to correct me if i'm wrong guys the most important thing is the consistency like if if a call is going to be made on one specific scenario that's almost identical to something else fans just want to see that same call made regardless of whether it's their team or not i think most fans will look at look at the calls that paros and his team consider might be suspendable offenses and agree that it should be suspended or when the league says no it's not suspended and if they give reasons why then most most fans whether they're on that team or not I feel like have the common sense enough obviously you get the diehard fans like well this isn't fair it's unacceptable mm -hmm. like how dare you but you're going to get out with every team that's a given I, I, I feel like it's just a case of in terms of that Boston scenario I gave a little while ago we, you look at something like that and uh, I believe Evander Kane even uh, added that to the list of replies to this did, or retweeted yes, yeah. one of the responses that somebody made that yeah it's just like all you got to do is make the same call and people are happy yeah and i i also find it interesting um this might just be a more boston thing i feel like it might be a thing maybe with uh, especially the most recent battles of alberta and all the suspensions and things that have been handed out over there one team kind of is kind of like mocks them for being suspended and when it, when the fans of the team that has a player that's suspended so take for example the, the Jeremy Lawson uh, suspension for Boston recently two games on Derek Stepan 
Uh, Bruins fans, most of them were saying, well, what about this hit on one of our players, which was practically identical? And then to the surprise of nobody, a lot of Toronto Maple Leafs fans come in and, <laughs> you know, troll. Obviously, like th- that's bound to happen. Yeah, yeah. But then I find it quite interesting when I look at the stats and everybody complains like, oh, when Boston does something, and a lot of Leafs fans I saw about this, and obviously this isn't all Leafs fans, but uh, some Leafs fans I was seeing were like, oh, well, when when Boston does something, they barely ever get penalized. But when another team does it to them, it happens. Toronto, at the time that I was reading it, was the least penalized team in the entire National Hockey League. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel it's like, like that word both ways. It's like, kettle. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's exactly like um, uh, some people being like, uh, especially like Calgary fans being like, oh, well, what Cassian did was wrong. And yeah, you could, I, I say there's a fair argument to say what Cassian did was wrong. But then again, Matthew to Chuck, some of the stuff he did was wrong. Like, I, I feel like it's just a combination of, like you said, human error. People make mistakes, both the players and the referees. And when it comes to, when it comes to suspensions and stuff, I feel like most fans don't give enough credit to the referees because when you think about it, they're watching all of this stuff in real time. They have to make the call right there and then. And while some people might argue, oh, well, they have the iPads and uh, the Department of Player Safety can call them over to the, to the, uh, to the, um, to, to look at the plays on the iPads and slow motion and everything. Most of the time, I, f- I feel like f- maybe some fans forget that they have to see without reasonable doubt that the call has to be overturned for them to make a change to it. The call has to stand with the call they make on the ice. And I mean, I've never stood on an ice rink and watched people go at 120 miles an hour, uh, making hits on people and having to make a split second decision. Sure, they're trained for it, whereas I'm not, but that, that's still a really difficult thing to do. Well, I mean, we've seen games like right by the ice, right? And it's ridiculous how fast the game actually is when you're at ice level. It's it's an insanely fast game. And, and as a fan, like you're trying to watch everything that happens too. And you miss things all the time when you're watching it live. So yeah, of course they're trained for it. But but again, like I, I'm going to throw it back to that police comparison too, right? Like those guys are trained for situations and they get flack all the time and it's the hardest job in the world. Like it, it, it is such a quick, quick thinking. Like if you make one mistake, you have everybody judging you for it, right? Like that amount of pressure I would never want on me. So they, they definitely do get respect. Sorry for me too. Um, but yeah, I don't know. John's had ideas in the past of how to change officiating as well, like adding in, again, like a third man in. I, I still don't think that ever will be 100% done. I think they need to add maybe some technology into the puck as well to help at least linesmen that, that they way. can they can look more at the play more than what they're watching the puck is. The issue is it's the same thing as when reviews came in, right? Like there's always pros and cons where I personally think for play reviews, that the pros have outweighed the cons, like the amount of bullshit calls that they've fixed outweighs the negative of, yeah, the game's a little bit slower now with the odd review mixed in, but it is like, I I don't know. We're not going to get into that a a huge amount, but I do think there's better, you know, better ways of doing things. And like you mentioned, I think technology is going to be a huge aspect of that. I, I, I feel like perhaps in my opinion, one of the things that they could do on the player safety side with George Paris's team is maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily have one person that's in charge of the entire department, maybe go for a more, maybe just add another person in. So there is the chance for them to have that conversation with each other. And it's not as if it's one person has the decision be all and end all. And like you mentioned with the with perhaps if there's some bias involved or if there's some personal grudges from their playing days or anything like that. Maybe just having 
two people or maybe even three people. Maybe maybe it's a committee of people. Maybe that complicates things too much. I don't know. Honestly. I would love a jury of your peers like actually voting together and, and it being, you know, eight people, 10 people, whatever. Yeah. What if you had the player then? I'm not saying this is the perfect system, but just a spitball. What if you had the player association representatives decide on suspensions? So you have the Department of Player Safety that pulls an incident and says, the, we don't think this was legal and it was it crossed a certain line. And then they pass that over with a recommendation and the player association representatives vote on it. I mean, I think it'd be good just to have a committee and those players or sorry, those people be involved in that decision as well as maybe like right. some media members, some like whoever have a, a council. You could change it even every year, whatever. Right. But have a group of people that decide. I think that's probably the best way to go forward rather than one person. Making and it's decisions. not yeah. perfect because there's still going to be like the general opinion. Right. Like. You imagine to to refer it to the Bruins, like a guy like Brad Marchand, who isn't all that much liked by his peers, is probably going to get kind of the shit end of the stick in that situation. Yeah, and and I mean, fair play to Brad Marchand this year. We haven't actually had many examples where he's been his, for want of a better term, his usual self. It's something that we've noticed. Was the licking incident like the last big one that made like big headlines? There was, an, uh, in terms of like an actual suspendable offense, yeah, I think the licking stuff, which, yeah, I don't, wow. Um, I think it's just <laughs> so like his on-ice antics. There was the recent game versus the Rangers where he got up to a bit of stuff, which was actually quite surprising to me because he doesn't get up to that much stuff anymore. I mean, he's always been a talented player, but like just for context, he's got 74 points this season already. Like he doesn't need to do this. And I think he's, maybe it's a case of he's finally realized or he's put all of that sort of, uh, that, those antics into playing harder and playing a more complete game. Whatever the reason is, he's not doing some of that so much anymore. He's still getting I'm curious what happens skins. in the playoffs. As I, far feel, as like, the I feel like he can ramp up for the playoffs. Yeah, I, I feel like yeah. it's something that he might be like, one of the tools in his toolbox that he's leaving there until he needs it. And I feel like that could be very beneficial for him. But Especially if you guys play Toronto again. Yes, which, I mean, would be great because then we'd win in seven games and we'd move on, you know? Things, things yeah, I would love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, just going back to the I, idea I love of, it every a, time. Yeah. of a committee, um, I, I perhaps maybe one of the, the issues with a maybe a, a board for the player safety or a committee is how long would it take for them for their decisions to come in? Because obviously, if you're going to have too. a board, yeah. you want everybody there making de- making the decision all at the same time. It's going to be difficult to get all of those players or all of those people in the same place at the same time. And I mean, what if it's a case of a player does a, a makes a risky hit or a potentially illegal play, and they play? a game the next day like do you hold them out because right. you haven't made the decision yet? yeah that's but then again point. that's yeah. basically a suspension yeah. anyway isn't it so who knows it would have to turn into something where it's like you know like skype con- conference calls and stuff where they send you the file it's their expectation that once your game is over you review that file and send in your vote but it would become very convoluted i agree that's definitely an yeah. obstacle they'd have to move over um Adnan Rush, I did want to, you're making the transitions very easy for me because obviously you mentioned the incident in the British Hockey League. So we have a fan, uh, an Oilers fan on Twitter that goes by Sam H and he's a huge fan of the Sheffield Steelers, also lives in Britain like you do. So we were curious if you could kind of provide some insight as to one, how you got into hockey because you are born and raised in England. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. 
So how exactly did you get into hockey and specifically the NHL and kind of, we, we can get into it more with more questions and stuff, but what is the hockey culture in England? So I feel like the hockey culture in England, it's nice to see a Sheffield Steelers fan. I've The, the Sheffield Steelers were the second team I ever watched play like in their arena. It's a beautiful arena. They've just recently had, uh, I think, one and a half million pounds committed to helping uh, re- revamp the place and uh, change their like whole ice system. So that they're, the community in Sheffield, they're a diehard group of hockey fans there in Sheffield. Yeah, there's, the problem is with the, the English system is there's a lot of disparity between the top teams and the bottom teams. You have the... You, you, they, they're essentially divided into two. There's the arena teams, which are the teams that, I mean, obviously, like the name says, they play in the big hockey rinks. They're the sort of stadiums that are used as rinks, but are also used for um, other events like when bands and like Disney on Ice or something come in and they can rent the space. Um, So that's Nottingham, uh, Belfast. Belfast has a lovely arena. That's the last time the NHL came over to England. I think it was in 2003. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember off the top of my head. It was the Ducks and the Kings, I believe. Um, They played in Belfast, which is the rink that's on my bucket list. Um, Nottingham, Belfast, Sheffield, and then um, what's the other one? I think it's the one in Glasgow. Uh, that might not be right. There, there, there's, but essentially, there's you've kind of got the arena teams. The Cardiff Devils aren't an arena team, but they're the most successful team at the moment in British hockey. They seem to be winning championships every year. Um, they're one of those organisations that they recently, about five years ago or so, had some North American... Uh, new owners come in and basically revamp the team and it's gone leaps and bounds. Like they've really like earned back on their investment. They're winning trophies pretty much every season. And then you have, you have a lot of Scottish teams. You have Fife, Glasgow and Dundee, which their, um, their performance very much varies. Dundee very much has one of the lower budgets of any of the teams in the league. There's no salary cap or anything like that. So uh, Dundee is very much like a, a smaller run organization. Glasgow is the one that kind of competes the most out of the three of them. Fife has been a good team over years past, but they're really not doing very well this year for whatever reason. Um, and then you have the sort of uh, the rest of the Midland teams. Like you uh, you have Guildford, which are a team that I, I've seen play. They play in like a local uh, leisure center rink, which, is, which sucks because they are actually a really good team. And if they had their own arena, they could, they could potentially fill that out because they win games that they probably shouldn't do. Um, you have uh, teams like Coventry that's had a lot of success in the past. Uh, essentially, it's it's been kind of an acquired taste in the UK. I think is the best way to put it. If you, it's very easy to go through and, and anywhere in England and know that the team teams or the league doesn't exist. But once you get into it, you're really into it, and you find a really nice group of hockey fans in the country that are also huge NHL fans. Every time I've been to a hockey game in the UK, you will half the time see one of the two teams playing their jerseys or a mass of NHL jerseys, which is really nice to see. There's a huge interest in NHL from the hockey fans in the UK. Um, The fact that the Great British international team has been doing quite well over the last few years. uh, They've made it obviously to the top flight of the world championships. They got the the pleasure of being uh, completely destroyed by Canada last year which was lovely. Um, <laughs> but baby steps, I mean, that's a big disadvantage they've been coming from, right? Exactly. And um, they're a team that's kind of on the up. Hockey in the UK is on the up. We've still got a very long way to go in terms of um, where it needs to go. And I, I, there's lots of 
far better, far knowledgeable hockey in terms of UK hockey that I, I could name off the top of my head that would probably be able to give you a more like analytical view in terms of the, the situation. But it's it's a nice group of hockey fans. They do know their stuff. I, I, I find it quite interesting whether I'm uh, doing videos on my channel on YouTube or, or uh, talking. A lot of people find it quite interesting that someone from England knows so much about hockey. It's like, I'm, I'm just a hockey fan like the rest of you, you know? <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. Like we weren't, we were expecting you to be knowledgeable. Obviously Kyle was, um, he's a big fan of your YouTube channel. We know you're on the network. We haven't had the pleasure of talking to you up until now, but like I would for sure argue that you have such a higher knowledge base than the average hockey fan in Canada. Like it's, it's nuts. Like, and not, not again, not to say we weren't, we weren't, we were expecting you to know your stuff, but we've been a little bit blown away ourselves. Which was very nice of you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> in terms of like, just to answer your other question in terms of uh, how I got into hockey. I, I didn't want to forget that question. Um, the long, the, the short answer, video games uh, okay. is the way that I got into hockey. Um, uh, to expand on that somewhat, it, it, it's not so much a long story, but essentially um, every summer, uh, essentially over here in the UK, you get like six weeks summer holidays from school. Okay. It's slightly different, I think, for you guys over yeah, here. Yeah, we get um, a little over two months, I believe. Yeah, because because we have these things called half terms, which are okay. like a week where you don't go to school and there's like one, it's kind of like halfway through each like semester. So oh, okay. um, so then our summer break is shorter than the break over there because you guys often don't get those weeks off. I think, I think we that's have a how it spring works. break, I believe, but not a fall. I don't know. I haven't been in I school I think it's for a different years, everywhere. But... Like we get reading weeks and stuff here too, but yeah. Okay, yeah. So um. So in terms of how I got into it, basically every summer um, we'd go over to America or Canada. Um, we'd take a week or two there, which was really nice. We got to go places all over the um, all over North America. And one year, my dad decided to buy me a copy of NHL 2004 for the PC. Yeah. Which, first of all, like in terms of NHL games, like that's probably the best one. I was just yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Because that is an that is the goat of hockey games. It was a without game a doubt. at the time for sure. It really was, yeah. And um, I but he got it for me a couple of years too late. I think it must have been like two thousand six, two thousand seven is when he got it for me. It was like, oh, this is something you can enjoy. Um, I we came home from the 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 vacation. I put in the game, played it for a little while. Was like, okay, right, I've had enough of that. Let's move on to the next thing. And then it it's kind of just as simple as one day. You know, like when you're like in your like early teens and you're you're at home, you're like you don't have a job and you're just there like, I, I've done everything that I kind of wanted to do. I don't really have anything to do, but there's still so much in the day left. And I've always been a big video gamer. So it's like, oh, I find a video game. NHL 2004 was sitting there, put it in. The rest is history. Um, I started properly following the, um, the NHL when the Bruins won the cup in 2011, which is kind of coincidental considering I'm doing the Bruins podcast on the network. Um, and from there, yeah, I just kind of, I remember sort of the days where watching, watching actual NHL games was a little bit more difficult here. And it would be a case of having to listen to like uh, the NHL apps, like radio broadcasts, um, which that, that's taken me through a huge nostalgia trip right now. I'm just thinking about <laughs> it. Um, and then, uh, then eventually like getting the opportunity to watch the games. And obviously quite a lot of the games aren't very UK friendly. So I've spent many a year, the game starts at midnight, go to sleep at 2.30 in the morning. You know, it's just got the grind you've got to make to be a hockey fan over here. Um, 
And also, like, I also started my channel in about 2015, I believe. We're coming up on five years, I think, since I made it. And essentially, a, a way, the reason I made that kind of leading in, if this was a question you had, I'm, I'm, I think I'm on fire here with these uh, segues at the moment. Um, you are. But, <laughs> yeah, but uh, in terms of the channel, it was a case of, I made it in sort of uh, summer 2015, and it was a case of going, where I live, hockey's not, like, it's not a thing where I live. I kind of live in, in the, the southeast of the country, uh, the eastern area of the country, and there, are, there aren't really many ice rinks nearby. All of the hockey's much farther north than where I am. And like, I'd be talking to my friends about like hockey and stuff, and most of them either didn't really understand it or weren't that interested in it, which is fine. And football's the big soccer for you guys, is the big thing over here, which I've never really had a huge interest in. Um, it was just a case of me making videos and seeing, essentially trying to connect with other hockey fans around the world. Because I thought, oh, well, if I'm feeling like this, there's probably some other people out there that are feeling like this. Or there's some people out there that are in North America, but their friends aren't into hockey and they want somewhere to kind of have a discussion about it. And then it's kind of evolved as time has gone on to, oh, I find, I do a bit of research and I find a really interesting story. I love like looking up the history of the NHL and the history of hockey. I find that stuff so fascinating. So I look up, oh, there's this record held by this player. Uh, A video that I'm putting up today as we're recording, which would be, I imagine, tomorrow as this episode goes out, is talking about the first player that was traded nine times in NHL history, which is something that like most hockey fans might not know about. But then it's like, I find it, I'm like, oh, that's quite interesting. I want to make a video on that. And then you get people go, oh, I had no idea this was a thing. Like, I've learned something today, you know? And it's like having a chance to connect with people about a sport that I like and a sport that they like and the amount of people that are very confused when they first watch my videos to be like, I did not expect that accent. It's like, yeah, that's a fair (laughs) assessment to make. Um, But yeah, it's just like, and the way that the channel's grown like over the last year or so when I've I've kind of feel like I've found my form in terms of the stuff I want to talk about because I was like every other hockey YouTuber like making NHL 19, NHL 18 content, you know, hockey ultimate team pack openings and all that stuff. Right. After a while, I was just kind of like, I want to do something that's more interesting for me. That stuff's interesting, of course, but like stuff that's more like, I actually enjoy looking up this stuff and researching it and going, oh, this is something that I find interesting. Somebody else might find it interesting too. So it's just a case of telling stories, really. I think you've done a fantastic job of it as well. Like you've said, over the last year, you've really found your stride and your channel has grown quite a bit too. I think you're almost at 20,000. You're like 18 yeah, and a half I just or something, pulled right? it up. It's 17.6 thousand subscribers. Like that is wildly impressive, man. And, Congratulations. And like you said, you wanted to build a community and your YouTube comments, at least, I mean, they're notoriously horrible comments across YouTube, right? And for the most part, your comments yeah. in your channel are quite good and people actually trying to put a point in or interact with you. Um, I, yeah, you, I think like have done a a great job at finding your niche and, and rolling with it, man. Like, like I said earlier, I very much enjoy your channel. I think you do a great job on your videos and, and obviously you enjoy doing the research because I think those are your best videos is when you delve into kind of the history of the NHL or history of certain players. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like a lot of people, cause I don't mention it on the channel a lot. A lot of people that watch my videos don't realize that like I have an undergraduate degree in performing arts. Like that's where my kind of talents have lied throughout the years. So um, uh, essentially the degree that I did over the three years 
kind of taught me to just like do stuff myself. Like you're more than capable of just like doing all of it. Like I sit there and write all the scripts and I record the videos and I Mm -hmm. edit all of them together. Like it's a one person thing and it's quite nice in a way. Like obviously the production value isn't going to be as great as some of the more of the channel or the networks that are out there, like the ESPNs or the SB Nations or Sportsnet or anything like that. But it's the actual content. Yeah. And I I feel like in a way that gives a lot of people a chance to connect to it more because they feel like they feel like they understand your channel and they're obviously seeing it grow and seeing the the stuff that you talk about and they connect to it in a different way than they might do. Some some people will watch a sports I, I watch like Sportsnet and Tim and Sid and all of this stuff. Like I watch all mm-hmm. the highlights. Like I don't feel like I have a personal connection with anything with that stuff. Exactly. You're you're more of an everyday guy that, you know, you applied your talent and your your education into something you really find interesting that's kind of more of a unique direction. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's also like you get people that uh that when they like hit the uh, notification bell or whatever it is on YouTube nowadays, they change it every so often. Um, it's a case of like they automatically click because they've seen they've seen you've uploaded and they're like, I'm really excited to see this person's video. Which, as somebody that like does all the work myself, and there'll be days where I make good videos or that I'm really proud of. Some days where I make videos where I'm like, oh, I'm not too sure because I, I I feel like this might come in the in the performing arts aspect. I'm an absolute perfectionist. Like if I'm not happy with it, then I really don't like putting stuff out. And then once it goes out and you get such a good reception or you try something new, like I tried a series, started a potential series uh, last week where I was looking at like um, uh, bad, like buyer's remorse in the league where where uh, teams may not have got what they paid for. And I looked at one of the worst free agency classes recently in 2016, which was an absolute train wreck. And I think you guys, Oilers fans, would understand that too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just like finding things that I'm interested in that by the sounds of it, other people are interested in. Uh, my Whatever Happened To series is the one that's really like got me a lot of my traffic. I kind of started that as a, you know, like a, oh, I'm interested to see where this player went. And now everybody's like, I will need to do one on this one and this one and this one yeah. and this one. So they're kind of, they're kind of helping me find the content for me, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I do have to say, as far as the whatever happened to you, I'm just looking on your page. And from a week ago, you posted one on Ryan Spooner. So that is definitely one that Oilers fans, if they want to jump into your channel, one that'll kind of hit closer to home for us anyways. Yeah, right. Ryan Spooner was an interesting one because I, I I always have a good idea in mind on who I want to do. Like I have a list of the players that people have suggested to me like over the last year or so because I I've tried to upload one of these a week for pretty much the last year or so, and it, I have a list of players that are like in the back burner that if I decide one day, oh yeah, let's look up this guy because his name's been there for a while but I haven't quite found it. And then somebody suggested recently Ryan Spooner and I thought, you know, well, that's a really good one because I loved him with the Rangers that first part mm-hmm. uh, last year or so at 16 points in 20 games or something. Then obviously things didn't go quite to plan after that. And then it also gives a chance to like see where they've gone because I also love European hockey and I feel like it gives people a good chance to kind of learn about teams across the pond because that's the one thing I've always said to, like, uh, to fans of my channel when I do live streams and stuff. Like, I feel like North American hockey fans that don't like look at European hockey, obviously you don't have to, but I feel like you're missing out on something quite fun there. 
Like there, there's, it's, it's not, you don't have to take it as seriously as you would like supporting the Edmonton Oilers or another team. Like right. you can pick a team that has a guy that you recognize. It, it could just be as simple as that. Like, oh, that player used to play for the team I like. Let's go and look at how that's, that, that team's doing. And also the Champions Hockey League is a big one to maybe look out for, which is essentially like the Europa Cup from uh, soccer where teams from across Europe uh, play to win a championship. And there's like teams from, we have a couple of teams from the UK going every once in a while. Obviously, Sweden and Finland, you always have those teams up there. And they take, sorry, they take kind of the top teams from each league and then play a separate tournament. Yeah, so it's essentially like uh, the teams that have either won their playoff um, series, like won the playoffs in their uh, domestic league. Uh, some teams favor like being first place in at the end of the regular season. Um, so yeah, and then obviously the winner of the cup automatically qualifies. Uh, it's kind of been, become a bit of a joke because uh, Frölunda of the Swedish Hockey League have won it like four out of six times. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're one of the best teams in, in, in terms of the Champions Hockey League. So right. they're always there. And then you, you always have like four or five Swedish teams and they, they have the group stages and they go to the playoffs and usually finishes by early February. Do they get teams from Russia as well or just the Western side of no, Europe? No, 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 no. They, they, they don't get teams from the KHL. Just the KHL Europe. declined to uh, take part. You mentioning the North American fans and how they should take a look at that. I think it's really interesting because there's almost a sense where you look at North American hockey fans and it's not you know, a, a conscious decision, but there's a little bit of elitism when it comes to the NHL where you see players that fail out of the NHL and they're kind of almost talked about as like an utter failure. And it's like, Oh, that guy's not good at hockey where you look at the level that's needed to make that league. There are a ton of players that are very, very good hockey players that have gone on to have careers in Europe. And that's nothing to, you know, scoff at like that's, that's more than, 90% of people will do probably higher than that in their specific field, right? Like these guys are getting paid to play a sport and oftentimes making decent money in crazy environments. And I mean, you looked at, um, sorry, I just looked at a tweet, the Sam H Oilers fan that I, that I mentioned earlier, his pinned tweet right now, I just retweeted it is a Sheffield comeback coming back, uh, down two to win in overtime and that arena is going fucking bonkers. Like they you really look are, at it, and you look at it like like a North American NHL arena in the playoffs. Like they have passionate fans and a passionate culture. So I'm really glad we got that kind of insight from someone that sees that firsthand and is interested in that firsthand because I think it is important to share that, especially from Sheffield's perspective. They have some diehard fans in Sheffield. They are some of the most committed fans in the entire. Hockey league. They, they've kind of got a rap as being the the set of fans that the rest of the league don't like, but they are like a, they are a good like. I really do like Steelers fans. They get behind their team, and the you can see the impact it has on that Sheffield Steelers team because as it currently stands, uh, when we're recording this, the Sheffield Steelers are currently top of the league. They had a really bad year last year where things just didn't go right. They had a massive upheaval, and they brought in a new coach. Obviously, we have uh, an import system here where you're only allowed to ice a certain amount of imports. You have to have a certain amount of uh, British players. The Steelers are a team that have a fantastic group of British players. Most of the best players that are on our uh, international team. And uh, they they just actually recently announced that they brought in Martin Brodeur's son to play goaltender for the rest of the season. Uh, that was just announced like five minutes before we started uh, recording this podcast. And I, I just want to quickly mention... Um, the, the first point you made of the elitism in terms of 
North American hockey fans. I, I'm not going to, I'm not claiming to be a victim of this at, at any point. Like I love the fact that I get fans. My biggest audience is from North America because I talk about the NHL a lot. Right. Um, I do get the number of comments that I do get from people being like, oh, stick to football or right. oh, you're British. <laughs> like, like you can't, you shouldn't be talking about hockey. Like, come on, like save it. For, like, I, I find them hilarious because it's like, it's so interesting how like protective people are of their sport and, and their, um, their teams and everything like that. I most, obviously most people look at it and go, Oh, the fact that, that, that this sport is extending way across the pond to fans that we could have no, we would never have even thought of that it'd reach. Like, that's a great thing. Like we're all celebrating the sport that we love. Like you could also make the argument that like, if I want to watch a hockey game, if I want to watch like the Boston Bruins play or the New York Rangers play, most of the time I have to stay up till half past three in the morning to watch exactly. them play. So like, like who's well, the dedicated one now, you know? Well, there's a lot of that here too, like with people saying like, oh, you didn't play hockey at all. Like I played hockey till I was 12, you know, and somehow your opinion's yeah. now better than mine or something, right? Like yeah. that's not really how it works. If I'm watching and putting more into it, then I think I'd probably know more than you. I've, I've literally ice skated twice in my life. Because like hockey isn't a thing over here, and it, it, it kind of goes into the the frame of like, well, that's not my fault. Like I don't live near yeah, where you have obstacles that we don't have here. Exactly, and it's like I have an I have an outdoor rink half a block from my house right now. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like we haven't had a single drop of snow all year. Like where it, it's kind of the contrast, and like hockey isn't a thing over here, but that doesn't mean we can't enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Like the irony of it where they're saying stick to football or whatever, yeah. where you've had those obstacles. One, like you look at the average Canadian kid, you grow up in a hockey culture. So yeah. having that knowledge, you're getting that from a young age, whether you really want it or not, right? You see even non-hockey fans here, they they have a basic understanding of the big players. Like everyone in Edmonton knows who Connor McDavid is. Yeah. And they kind of just get that shoved down their throat where you look at the situation you came up in, you had to take that initiative to learn about the NHL history and no one around you is talking about it. So you have to go to outlets like the internet and, and yeah. get interested and actually put that effort in. So I find that way more impressive. And, you know, like I said earlier, it, it just, it blows me away that someone would say that. I mean, the internet can be a terrible place, so it does it shouldn't be that surprising, but talking to you, you have a much higher hockey knowledge than the vast majority of Canadian hockey fans. So yeah, I just find it very ironic that yeah. people are saying that. I, I also find it quite interesting in the sense that like, like you mentioned, I mean, from my perspective, I'd love to be able to just switch on the TV and have like TSN and sports just like readily available right. to watch where they're talking about hockey, like 24 seven. I'd love that. I, I've spent my last few summers in Montreal and like, the fact that you can just go to the to Walmart and buy upper deck hockey cards, like that's a thing that you can't do here. Mm -hmm. There's like one store, which is about three and a half hours away from me that sells them, you know? So it's like it, it, the, the differences in the cultures, obviously, because I, I also think obviously because hockey is kind of seen as a very Canadian thing, like it was first played in Canada. It was brought over by British soldiers. Like <laughs> we, we had our hand in helping create the sport, like, if, if, if we're going to play the ownership card, like you're welcome, you know? And it's almost <laughs> one of those things where you look at basketball and it's such an American thing and a Canadian created it, right? Like where yeah. you tell Americans that and it's like, oh yeah, but that's all you did where you can't, you know, we obviously have a lot of pride in our hockey, but you can't just be like ignorant and deny the impact other countries have had as well. 
And I mean, the Raptors just won a championship. So like, what are they talking about? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, <laughs> we're definitely going to have to have you on again and, and vice versa. If you, you ever want some insight, maybe we'll have to be the ones, you know, coming on early or staying up late or something <laughs> to jump on your guys' pod. But no, really, really, really appreciate it. And obviously everybody seriously check out that YouTube channel, check out Brits on Bruins on the hockey podcast network. And yeah, just, just really appreciate the insight you provided today. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Okay, everybody, that wraps up another episode of the Oil Country Podcast presented by the Hockey Podcast Network, every team, everywhere. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate the support. As far as our schedule, we do release episodes every Monday and Thursday through the Hockey Podcast Network. You can search them up on any podcast app, SoundCloud, iTunes, et cetera, et cetera, the whole nine yards. The other new exciting thing that's going to be happening in the next uh, about a week into February is we are getting our own individual feeds with the Hockey Podcast Network. So you can still continue to subscribe to the main feed and get 31 teams podcasts in addition to the extra ones with Terry Ryan, et cetera, et cetera. Or if you want to just listen to us, if that's, you're just looking for your Oilers fix, you can look up the oil country podcast feed presented by the hockey podcast network. That's the best way to get our episodes as early as possible and auto download those to your device or stream them or whatever you want to do. After you guys listen to us, if you want to get in contact with us or give us any feedback, we would love if you could hit us up on Twitter at at Oil Country Pod, or you can leave us a text or a voicemail at 587-415-2894. You can also reach us at www.oilcountrypodcast.com. We are a little bit late with updating our archived episodes, so we're a little bit behind there. We know most people listen to a feed, so we're not super, super concerned there, but that is on our to-do list. But you can contact us through there. If you want to be a guest on our show, leave a question for us. You can contact us through that website, and it's got a little bit more information for you there as well. One of the things, if you are enjoying what you're hearing from us, the thing you can do that helps us out the absolute most, obviously sharing on social media, et cetera, et cetera. But if you leave us a review, I know some services don't let you leave that review, but I know if you're on iTunes or Google Play, anything like that, if you leave us a positive review, five-star review, if you are really liking us, that helps us with the charts and to gain more listeners and everything like that. And it would be very much appreciated. The one last thing that we're going to do before we leave you is we want to give a shout out to our personal partner, Alley Cat Brewery in Edmonton, Alberta. If you go in there at any time, you can say THPN to your server and you'll get 10% off your bill. We are another exciting thing going on with Alley Cat. We are planning on recording a live episode at the end of the month when Kyle is in Edmonton. So we're going to do that on location Keep that in mind. We're going to, we'll get you guys more details and everything like that as we get a little bit closer to the date. But if anybody wants to come in and meet us or sit in on a live recording, you can definitely do that. And we are super stoked to have uh, maybe just a couple beers at Alley Cat and see what happens with the night. I'm having more than a couple for sure. <laughs> Thank you again for listening. We will talk to you guys on next episode.